Hey, Sammy, you ready for the show? 106. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. My guest today is Edna Ma, who's the creator of a product called Bear Ease. She is an anesthesiologist who came up with this product because she wanted a way to actually numb the skin in order for waxing not to be so painful. She was featured on Shark Tank, and she has a very interesting history as to how she got there. Um, So let's go ahead and get right on into it. Edna, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I'm very, very excited that you're here because you have some cool, like sexy products that I think are so interesting, and you have such a really great story on how you've started those products and built up your company and the journey that you've had along the way. And I'm really excited to bring it to the Biz Women Rock community. So um, you are an anesthesiologist. So can you give us a little bit of a background as to kind of the career that you've had um, as an anesthesiologist and how that kind of led to this idea of berries? Of course. Thanks. Um, So um I was very interested in like being in the operating room and feeling that I've actually contributed to um, an individual's healthcare, and there's no better way to have that kind of feeling, if you will, um, before and after and you know and during surgery because you're such a critical member of that team. Um, and what I really liked about um, anesthesia is that you have a, a quick moment to connect with people, gain their trust, and then we go off to surgery. And a lot of times. It's, Patients don't get to choose their anesthesiologist, and I feel like I connected very easily with people um, at, at a on a very quick time pressure uh, time frame like we have in our society these days. And one of the things that we did was when we worked with children was that uh, we num- we have everybody gets an IV for surgery or even minimal sedation you get an IV. And one of the things that we did for children was we numbed the skin before placing an IV. And so. When I got my first bikini wax a few years after I had finished residency, I thought, oh, my God, there is a better way to numb the skin before having this very painful procedure done. Because that like, well, I don't, hurts. I just take... <laughs> it really does hurt. But, you know, it's, it's becoming a more common trend to have um, not just um, waxing or laser hair removal, but just like the full Monty having a full Brazilian and having pretty much <laughs> any any hair except on your head. It's like pretty much that's the new standard, like hair on your legs, hair on your arms, uh, very like hair on your face except maybe on your eyebrow. But um, it's the new standard in beauty these days to have like um, either your hair um, completely removed with laser or, or waxing or lightened in like um, areas that like around your um, upper lip. And so I said, being an anesthesiologist, it just seems so natural. Why isn't there a better solution? And so we went, I went out and looked for products that were um, numbing, but there's nothing that was effective that uh, replicated what we did in the hospital, taking care of patients and children who got IVs in the same way. And so I created, I, I created this product and I launched the business. And that was um, just a few years after I graduated from residency. And that was, and, and we launched our business in 2010. 
Wow. So, I mean, you were working full-time as an anesthesiologist. So how did you, like, what were some of the first steps that you took in actually creating this product? What did that really take? And how did you manage that while you were still working full-time? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is really hard. I think that anybody who, any woman knows how to multitask and um it was a lot, first it was a lot of research and trying to find out um, because coming from the medical and coming straight out of residency, it's a very structured um, institution creating doctors. You take these prerequisites, you do A, B, C, and D, and then you apply and they tell you how to apply. There's this one application system. You go through your residency, your medical school, you take these classes, it's extremely structured, um, and then four years later you have your medical degree and then you go into residency and it's very structured and then coming out of coming with this up with this idea and it's like all these different paths and everybody's trying to give you free advice and everybody's advice is free until you get to a part where you have to pay and so um <laughs> you, you, you just have to like you just have to use like your best judgment it's like there's some everybody's like you need to just license this you need to license your idea you need to just pitch it to Johnson Johnson you need to pitch it to this beauty company or you can just launch it yourself and then you can build yourself a brand and then sell it it's like so many different ways and I felt so overwhelmed and I've made many mistakes following some advice that seemed like a good idea at the time and you could you just don't know because you don't know what you don't know and so I made many mistakes along the way, but one of the first things to try to answer your question was I, I did a lot of research in terms of what already was on the market and talked to people like dermatologists and plastic surgeons on how to um, enhance um, enhance absorption through the skin because the skin is different every part of your body and then learn all about um, the world of aesthetics, which is a totally different world than medicine. There's medicines um, very much there's some art and science to it. I'd say more science. And then with aesthetics, it's totally, um, it's a lot, a lot softer. There's nothing, um, con there's a lot of more different ways to do one thing than in medicine. In medicine, there's like a standard of care and these, these guidelines that you follow in aesthetics. It's just a lot more variety, I will say. So you're talking about... So I was really, really lost. I was really, really lost is basically the short. Um, the short. <laughs> Coming from a very structured environment, like, okay, this is how you do. This is how you do it when you do it. And then you'll graduate. And then you have your degree. And then you do this. And then you have a job. And then you get your paycheck. And it, it was very linear and very organized. And then coming to the business world, there was like, it was just too much. It was like a crazy buffet at Vegas or something. It was too much all at once. It's um, it's much like the Wild West. Like if you don't know it and because all of a sudden there is no structure. So you have to be the one to create the structure. And if you right. are not kind of in with a business owner's community, let's say, you really don't know what to do. So you do get a lot of people kind of throwing advice at you. What was one of those major mistakes that you made on, on advice that somebody had given to you? Um, I would say one of them was it was a very expensive mistake, but I think I made it work out for me in the end. Um, one was that, oh, you need PR before you need before you can get distribution because nobody's going to take your product up unless you have PR press. And that was a, a PR so, company telling you that perhaps? Yes, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> PR, you, you've done this interview before. Um, no, well, and, um, so it's <laughs> and PR is not a bad thing because what, that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is that you are, I mean, 
if if you still have that company or if you don't, like you definitely have a lot of great PR. You you know you have this page on your website that is like where has Barry or um, where has Barry's really been? And I mean, tons of magazines, tons of videos, tons of you know news reports, all of this sort of stuff. So I mean, you're out there. Of, thank you. A lot of it was just um, my own hustling. And I think that that um, a lot of it is very is the fact that I just kind of live in LA, and also I feel like I'm a little bit um, have nothing really to lose. One of the um, videos is of me just pitching Jay Leno, no, and he yeah. does his <laughs> um, he does this jaywalking segment in uh, where I used to live, and I would see him like um, two or three times, maybe every every three or four weeks, I would see him standing there, and I never had anything to say or do with him. Like he's, he's, he's going to, their whole goal is to try to humiliate you right on the jaywalking segment. So, but this time I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to him. So I, I, I just kind of um, got my courage and I just went up and talked to him. And then my friends back in Colorado were saying, you're on, you're on the tonight show. I'm like, there's no, there's no way I'm nice. on the tonight show. Cause I, I just went up there like, you know, there's just to, to talk to him and um, they used the segment. And so I was just really shocked more than anything. He has nothing to do with like, numbing his bikini area you know so I mean I just think that a lot of the time you just have to take that chance and just like risk being humiliated a little bit because most of the time like you probably have more to gain than just outright humiliation yeah, yeah. so <laughs> um, and so I, I I would say that this that maybe the PR was a little bit um out of sequence for me because it. it wasn't really um a, ge- a revenue generating um uh, option for me at that point. In fact, it was really cash flow negative for me for quite some time. And most PR companies do require you to sign a several month retainer. Um, the other really big mistake I, I think I had at the very beginning was not doing my due diligence with manufacturing. And that cost me um, several tens of thousands of dollars. And um, it's it, not so much the money part of it, but more psychologically putting you back, thinking that people are just vultures and not here to help you. That was the part that was probably more difficult to um, digest than to actually say I'm out $15,000 or whatever. Um, and, and thinking back on it, I actually have to remember those specific events. So, you know, because it, it, now I'm kind of in a place that I have a, a manufacturer that I can trust and have a network of business contacts that are reliable. So let's get back into like, you know, maybe the, the first couple of years and you, so you created the product, you, you know, figured out the manufacturing for it, even though, you know, that sounds like it was a painful process, but you finally kind of figured that out. And then how did you go about marketing this? Like once you had this product and you were passionate about the fact that this could really be something special, what strategies did you use that were really effective for you to actually get the product out there and to get it sold? Um, so, I had no strategy. I just, just <laughs> my strategy, like people still have a business plan. People have a business plan. You write this thing. It's like a, uh, it'll be your Bible and your guide for your business. And I, I, I had none of that. I was just going flying by the seat of my pants because I just didn't want to necessarily spend the time doing it because when you have a small business, it is so fluid and dynamic. What may work with you one week may not work with you next week. And then you've already spent five hours doing something and committing it to paper. Um, so I had no plan, but I knew that, um, um, I knew there was a beauty, there's a, there's a small beauty supply chain uh, store in the Los Angeles area where I live. And I thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to pitch it there. Well, if I see it on the shelf there, then I'll just, you know, maybe we could go to the next store. And so literally I just, you know, 
changed out of my scrubs after work one day, and I put on my little business suit, and I walked to the front door like I'm a customer, and I pulled out my products, and I'm like, hi, I'm, and I gave them the same pitch. Hi, I'm Dr. Ma. I'm an anesthesiologist. I created this product, blah, 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 and numb the skin, just like the numb the skin with, um, I, you know, like we do with IVs for children. And so I did my little pitch. I was all nervous, and then, like, um, pitching to the store manager, and the store manager is like, well, we don't, we only review products once a month. Um, we'll be happy to review it. And then like a month later, I was invited to be part of their new product store grand opening. Um, and then they had a lot of bloggers there. Great. And and so then this is like having no plan is sometimes a plan. Um, so they had bloggers and people reached out to me and um, I gave them samples. And then they, were all, they had other brand founders there. And um, I asked, I just went around asking every brand founder, what did you do for PR? What did you do for this? And I, I interrogated those other people. And so um, then I would call those PR firms. I called those, uh, those other people who had better distribution. And most people are pretty helpful and welcoming. Um, and you just have to kind of use your judgment to see which ones are not, or you don't want to spend your very precious time um, on people who are going to take negative energy from you. So it, it was more that, and then kind of that cascade of people. Uh, and then I ran into somebody who helped manage brands who got products into stores like um, international, but, in, but domestically Henry Bendel's and then CEO Bigelow. And I said, okay, these guys obviously know what they're doing. And so then I connected with them and they helped manage my brand in terms, they already had the existing connections with these retail buyers. And so it was a manager, manage, uh, it was a matter of them calling, say, I'm calling about my brand A, but I recently picked up brand B. Would you like to see that as well? And then we had those accounts listed. And then when we had those accounts listed, it's sort of a, I don't want to say avalanche or sort of a snowballing effect because that, um, but it is you gradually build up momentum, and um, people say, "Oh, you have Seo Bigelow, or you have this brand. Um, it must not be that bad." And so then that's how. And then they had we got to Derm Store and then Drug Store, which is now bought up by Target and Walgreens.com. And so it was a little bit. It was a little bit like that. Each layer um, added legitimacy to the brand and the product. Now, were you selling on your website as well, or were you just going through these? through these um, ways of distribution? <laughs> so um, I was selling to my website um, when we first launched, and that was like the, that was, but you know, I wasn't getting any sales on my website, and this is part of my um, learning process, and I um, had somebody kind of evaluate what was going on with my website, and I forgot to, it was like a key code on my computer, on the, on the web store that had to be renewed and I apparently didn't do that. So I was like, there's like a <laughs> half a year of time that I was thought I was selling online. I just thought I was just like terrible at selling online, but it was just because of this administrative error that I wasn't selling online. You know what? I'm so really it, glad that you said that because I really want to make sure that everyone hears that we all make even the tiniest mistakes that seriously have a big impact on the bottom line. And you just, you just, you have to go through the mistake. You got to figure it out, you know? So so the thing is like, they don't tell you this. It's like a 17 digit key code that you have to, your webmaster, um, I don't do everything by myself because I couldn't program that for sure. He had only 24 hours to, from when that number is, um, from your merchant account issues this code and then you have, they have 24 hours to enter into the back end of the website before it expires and then it becomes inactive so i'm like why am i not getting any sales and and so it took a, um 
it took some customers emailing me saying, your website doesn't work for me to realize that something's wrong. And then of course you have a whole day. You don't know, you don't know what the problem is, right? So you're trying to call, you're calling the merchant, you're calling your web guy, you're trying to call, you're calling your warehouse, trying to figure out what's going on. And you're like, you don't, you're trying to solve this puzzle and you don't know what, even where to begin sometimes. Mm. Now, and I want to switch because one of the things that I found so fascinating about you just as a very holistic person is that you participated in Survivor in the South Pacific, (laughs) right? Back in 2011, you were a survivor. (laughs) Um, People say that I always think of that Larry David um, curb your enthusiasm yeah. when he brings his friend the survivor and then the Holocaust survivor. Oh. It's um, <laughs> is the survivor the game show? So, um, so he, so yes, I, I thought I live living in Los Angeles. I have, um, I was like, okay, you know, it'd be really, wouldn't it be great if I can get some exposure on Shark Tank? And I know that the producers create, and you watch the full credits, and you watch. Um, it's the same producers who produce Survivor and Shark Tank. So I'm like, I'm going to go to a casting call for. Uh, survivor because Shark Tank is not casting right now. So I'm just going to go to the, this casting call. So um, I got casted. Like literally I did not, I went again, I went in my little business suit. I showed up and I went to a survivor casting call and there's Jeff Probst with all the CBS executives sitting there in a room. And he's a guy who says like, survivor's ready and then do the challenge. And so this guy's in there and I didn't recognize him. I'm not really a fan of survivor, but I, I knew that Mark <laughs> Burnett who, who is the executive yeah. No, this is honest to God truth. Okay, so I'm like in my little suit, and everybody's like, "What's that?" She's like, she's confused. And Ashley said that I think you're at the wrong audition. I said, I don't care. I'm here to tell you about my thing. And I go in there, I do my little pitch, just like I told you. I'm Dr. Mom, anesthesiologist. I created this product. I'm like just as if I had just walked down um, a hallway flanked by two aquariums. I'm doing this pitch to this survivor producer of casting. Oh, people. that is hilarious. <laughs> and so, and so they. You know, I, I and I basically kind of told the producer, like the casting people, up until that point, that I was interested in Survivor. But I knew that as soon as I got in front of the right producer, I, could, I thought I get in front of the right producer, I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to turn on my Shark Tank pitch and then like do my Shark Tank pitch in front of the. Um, them. But, you know, I mean, I, I just came across like a crazy person, and so they're like, this person is like kind of. She knows that she's at a Survivor casting, so she has the gall or whatever, uh, or the the lack of fear to go ahead with this pitch that's not related to the show at all. And so I went to the thing, they're like, uh, like, two, like literally two days later, they're like, can you come, can you do Survivor? We leave in two weeks. Oh my and I thought, and I, and I didn't have a family at the time. And, um, and of course I just have my full-time medical practice and, you know, taking OB call for labor and delivery. You do epidurals all night long. And I'm like a full time on the schedule. And then all of a sudden I vanish off the planet and there's like no cell phone connection, emails or nothing. Like my voicemail is like, I will not be responding to any phone calls for the next two months. Oh, um, you know, so gosh. it was a little bit like that. So, um, so I was like, I, I said, this is my rationale for this. They said, um, you have, you know, you've been selected to play this game. It's one in 18 chance of winning a million dollars or zero in 18 if you say no. And I thought, ah, one in 18 is a lot better than zero in 18. Right. So I thought, and, <laughs> so that was my rationale behind it. Wow. So I went on this um, a very extended camping trip, and it was um, probably, uh, and being not a fan, I was like totally clueless. Like I didn't, if you talk to anybody who actually played the game with me, they'd realize how um, clueless I was about the strategy and the games. I was just like totally out of it. But I made it, um, 
it technically finished seventh place. So that's day 33 out of 39 days okay. in good. like one pair of underwear. I lost like 15 pounds and I'm, I'm like five foot three <laughs> and about 110 pounds to begin with. Um, and so um, I was really, really thin. I had lost a lot of my hair and then I had stopped having my period for two months after the show. Oh my gosh. And so I was really, 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 really thin after that. And so, um, I just tried to, I said, you know, if I'm going to be, and I cried almost every day. So I, I went from, you know, I get paid very well as a, um, a physician and then to be put on this island with these people who have like nothing in common. And I volunteered to be miserable. I'm like, you know, I, the first two days I'm like, okay, I, I, I did this I volunteered. If I quit, I still will not be sent home. Um, because they don't want the elimination process to be revealed. I said, I'm going to, I'm not a quitter. So I just did everything at that point, psychologically turned myself around, like no toilet paper, no to- toothbrush or whatever. I said, I'm just going to do this because I said I was going to do, it. I'm going to do it the best that I can. So, um, I, I finished seventh place and I think that that was not so bad considering I only had two weeks to prepare okay. for the show. And I only seen a total of, um, at that point after I got cast that I probably maybe saw, um, three seasons I didn't I mean the first season was like Survivor you, you may remember was like the first unscripted TV show was like a game changer but then the most recent they have changed their format a little bit so I've I watched maybe the two prior seasons before coming out and everybody was just like on the island there's nothing to do so you just talk about Survivor all day long and I'm like one of the few people who didn't have any references because I had no idea what was going on so um but I mean I just did the best I could and just like it taught me a lot of life lessons being on the island that I've kind of taken to um, apply in other areas of my life that may be sometimes totally unrelated to um, the task at hand, but it'll trigger like a survivor memory or something like that. Well, and that's kind of the vibe I'm getting this whole time. And the reason why I wanted to bring Survivor up is because what I'm gathering in your life is that you have chosen and put yourself in situations that are severely challenging both psychologically, physically, emotionally, and are doing that, but doing that for a purpose of wanting to grow. And whether it's starting a business and you're in this Wild West or you're going on Survivor and you're in the middle of the Pacific and um, and doing it in a way that really advances you as a woman and and can apply those things to your life. So, um, so I guess what I want to ask is, within all these lessons, what have you learned that really works for you that somebody listening could really cling on to as a practical way to really get through tough times? Because it sounds like you've been through a lot of those. You know, I feel like one of the big things is like um, just kind of overcoming the fear of the unknown and the fear of just like the uncertainty of all, all that. Because most likely the most, the worst case scenario is not as bad as you think it can be. And most people are, most women particularly in business owners are problem solvers. So it's not so much, I can't do something. It's just, you change your mindset to think, how can I get that done? And so when you can just change your semantics a little bit, I think you put yourself in a better psycholinguistic place. So you're finding solutions rather than finding roadblocks. I love that. That's a great, great suggestion. Now, I want to focus on where getting a snapshot of where your business is now. Um, and I, I'm so excited to say this part, but you have you have berries, and we're going to go into that particular um, product uh, as far as where it is now and the whole operation. But you also came out with a, a male version of this product 
um, called Numb Nuts, which I can't say without like laughing my butt off. And I just love that. So um, because I think it's very humorous and there's a lot of levity there. But can you explain where your business is now? Because you've had a lot of significant shifts since this upstart. Um, We didn't even get in the fact that you, you know, you were on Shark Tank. We'll talk about that in a second. But talk about where kind of give us a snapshot of how business looks like for you today. Business is much, much more manageable at this point. Um, I got a a deal with the private equity group after the show, and they have basically helped me um, strategize because I was, when I first launched my business, I was in the trenches. I was doing the day-to-day operations and sort of the roadmap of growing a business, it had gotten lost to me. I was just like so much just entrenched and just blinded by the day-to-day problems that I didn't have much of a growth strategy. Um, Now I have a a team of people who help me with the day-to-day stuff, and then I can focus more on um, broadening the distribution internationally and growing the product and growing, building new products and growing the brand. So more of a strategic overview and um, kind of driving the bus rather than just like trying to figure out where the heck we're going, like just every two feet trying to figure, figure, figure it out. So like at this point it's um, much more manageable. I feel like I can have a family. I can, I feel like I can have quality time with my son and I'm expecting a daughter next month. And like, I just, (laughs) before I would used to be like, I just was stressing about, um, stressing that I, I need to spend time with my son, but I need to do these emails because people are waiting for me to respond. Now I have team of people who like four, four or five people who answer emails and phone calls and um, deal with the vendors questions and everything where before I was kind of doing all that because it was um, just a matter of a place where my business was at that time. Um, either I couldn't find somebody I can trust or work long-term with, um, or they just didn't know the ropes quite yet and was kind of training them. And this came so, along as a package deal with the private equity firm, right? Yes. And so, uh, and there's a lot of, there are teams out there if um, to help you with this, the project that this particular private equity group um, has several businesses under their umbrella. And one of them is this logistical team that helps grow several brands and under their um, portfolio of product investor investments. Um, it's, it just kind of becomes so what I'm thinking, there's an economy of scales because I'm just one product in their whole portfolio of products that they own and manage. Versus me, I was like, I'm one little product and I'm trying to deal with the warehouse and I'm just, it was not total, it was scalable in some regards, but because I was, it was not efficient at running my business the way it was run. Now, you and I were talking a little bit about Shark Tank before we got on air today and um, about your experience there. And I just, I kind of want to zip through and just kind of label it um, real quickly so that we can talk about some of the other stuff here. But you went on to Shark Tank, you didn't end up getting a deal. And when, you know, when we kind of hashed that out before this call, you then said, but I did have this private, it has worked out better for me because I've had this private equity firm you know, come and we were actually able to structure a deal completely differently. And and I thought it was so fascinating that I wanted you to talk about that because, um, you know, first off that, um, you know, they really, did they come to you because they, because of the exposure on Shark Tank? Like, is that, was that part of it that they now found out about you? Or was there a different way yes. that they came to find you? 
So I would say that mo- there are a lot of people watching the show, not just for the strict entertainment value, but um, looking for opportunities in people who um, are, are legitimate businesses. And so um, and at that point in, um, in my business, when I um, applied for Shark Tank, I was actually applying for angel funding and other uh, private equity um, investing group, um, reaching out to these groups in um, they're actually mostly on the coast, so in, in like um, California and in New York. Um, and then you, there's a huge application process, like more extensive than applying to medical school or residency, that you have to um, to, see, to seek angel funding in these um, for these venture capital groups. And in every single level in between, there's slight differences. And I'm kind of using them interchangeably, so forgive me. Um, so I was kind of in that process, and I said, well, I have nothing to lose. I'll just submit an application for uh, Shark Tank too, um, and I feel like in my circumstances, um, I, I kind of it worked out pretty well because basically what can happen is that you get a deal or you don't get a deal on TV, and then if you get a handshake on TV with the end of your um, ten minute segment, the sharks on the the five one of the five sharks or multiple sharks the sharks on the show have a period of due diligence, and approximately half those deals don't materialize into a final deal. So that's a good faith gesture, that handshake. And then they go through due diligence. And because they're like celebrities and they have other deals and they have um, their families to deal with, and that due diligence process can be over a year. And a lot of times, like, you're not even finalizing a deal. Um, And then, or people, like, in my situation where you get the TV exposure of close to 10 million people, and and they they're re airing it and just recent um, Shark Tank just recently got uh, syndicated on CNBC, so um, now you have this it's close to a ten million dollar production budget of this commercial essentially they filmed of you and you can um, it recently aired in Pol- Portugal so I got a like a bunch of hits in Portugal people writing inquiries about my product being distributed in Europe and everything. And, um, and I was lucky enough for my episode to have aired during the Olympics as well. And so already in, um, less than a year's time, maybe six months time, um, my episode has aired three times and that I, I could have never gotten that kind of exposure, um, just by, uh, doing what I was doing, even hustling on the streets of LA, <laughs> trying to get in front of TV cameras and stuff. Um, it, it wouldn't have been the same compared to, um, this one television experience. But that being said, I would say that, you know, for my season, this, which is season five, um, they told us during our prepping, uh, the procedure to prep and get us ready for camera, um, that they had close to 70, thousand seven zero thousand applications this year. Wow. Holy cow. And then they, and then they um, invite um, like 300 people to some approximately. And then only um, about 130 segments actually make it on air. Jeez. Wow. So it's a little bit of like, I never went anything, but it seems like I've gotten these two reality TV show things. But I, <laughs> but I, never, I, I never went anything else. That's, it's okay. I mean, shoot, you, you made the odds to get on the shows. That's a, that's a really good feat. But I mean, really what I want to circle back to is the fact that this exposure has had tremendous effect on your business. And one of those major things has been, um, you know, getting the interest of, of an investor of a private equity group that not only has, you know, invested in your company and given you, you know, some capital to be able to do that, but they've also given you sort of a in-the-box operation to to really help you yes. grow. 
that is actually absolutely key and is actually one of the things that Barbara mentioned on the show. Um, she's like, it sounds like you want somebody to do your work for you. And for me, I'm like, that's just such a <laughs> unpleasant way to say it. But I'm, from my mind, I was thinking, I just need somebody to streamline this. I mean, I'm just reinventing the wheel every, like with this very small product that, and I'm using setting all my margins on operations at this point. And I know that there was a better way and, and so that was kind of what I was looking for. I was not looking for the money necessarily. I was looking for a strategic partner who had already done this or had, a, an, but what I have now with my um, investor is exactly what I needed for wh- where I was in the, in the process of creating this, this brand. I have a niche product and I realized that, um, and it's not a product for everybody and it's, it, even within the beauty industry, it's not with a product for everybody. And I did, I just wasn't running my business efficiently and I needed somebody to help me with that right. and show me the way rather than making, choosing all these different decisions. There's like, again, all this, the buffet of uh, um, routes that you can take. And so this worked out really, I could have asked for a better arrangement. Um, I just feel like this, w- the results of my experience from the show is like more than more than what I could ask for. It's exactly kind of a perfect fit for the needs that I had. So not too much, not, you know, not too little, like Goldilocks, if you will. So um, I really want to ask you what your goal is for your products and your company. You're about to have another baby. You know, your family is expanding. You're now part-time as an anesthesiologist. Like what, what do you have in hopes for, for the immediate future? Um, but yeah, what we have in our plate is uh, extending the uh, the line of Bear Ease products, and um, this I'm not going to say quite yet, but because um, it's we're still early in the manufacturing and the creative side of things, but this will have um, broader application for um, people with um, pain needs, and so I feel like I could, it's there's still some opportunity to grow the brand a little bit, and I think that it it probably will sit in. Ideally, I would love it to fit into a um, a larger company that has a host of other brands. Maybe a larger I don't I don't want to say J and J Johnson and Johnson, but that would be fantastic if it was like Palm Olive, Colgate Palm Olive, or something like that. But right now, I don't think that they even we don't even register as a ripple on their radar. Hmm. Well, I want to move into the final session of our interview together, and that that's what I call the fabulous. Actually, what do I call it? Oh, I call that the favorite five where I'm going to ask you five questions about your favorite thing, whatever it is, and then you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind for it, okay? Okay, okay. All right, so (laughs) how about your favorite book? I think my – this is hard for me because it's like (laughs) – what's your favorite book in terms of entertainment factor? But I think the most important book for me – having read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, and it sounds very uh, conniving or very manipulative when you hear the title. But when you kind of, and it's old, it's dated, it's, um, this guy's been dead for a while. You, you feel, when you read the book, you feel like you can, everybody's got the same struggle, basically. And everybody's just looking to be the person at the post office or your your children, school teacher, everybody has the same needs to be like recognized and to feel valuable in their 
own lives and in, in their connection to you. And when you can realize that, like you take your interactions with people, not just to be straight transactional, but you actually take more of a human element to it. And I think that I, you know, I've read that book several times and it's always good for me to refresh that that's just the human condition. Just, and he puts it in a real context that you can apply on your day-to-day at a day-to-day level. All right. How about your favorite business tool? Oh, I'd have to say it, it's just very practical. My MacBook Pro, I think it's for my iPhone. I'm on Apple. I'm on Apple. Um, I might have to get the new 6 Plus or whatever <laughs> they've been here. But I feel like they have a very good um, – I, I used to use PCs. And they have it. Um, this is much thicker design, I think, in terms of the processing and the needs that um, a small business owner has, um, including the things like the uh, Square for processing and the apps that are available for a business owner who's growing but wants to project and project themselves as a bigger company. All right. How about your favorite, I'm going to call this your favorite business celebrity mentor. So somebody that we all would know that you really look up to for business for some reason. I think uh, I I love Oprah for many, many reasons. And I think that she has um, done an excellent job with her business. Um, And the business is being Oprah. She's an expert in creating relationships and she's an expert, a relationship expert, but she's neither married or have children of her own, but she has created this image that people go to her for whatever, whatever advice that they need. And if you just kind of look at what she, where she comes from, she's, she's had a tremendous amount of struggle, but she didn't let those things get her back. Hmm. All right. How about your favorite place to eat in LA? <laughs> um, I love, I love sushi. And right now, I haven't been eating sushi, so maybe this is slightly uh, colored by that. I love this restaurant called um, Hamasaku, which is in a strip mall like all the good restaurants are in L.A. And, and they just have the uh, best, the freshest seafood that I, I've ever tasted, even compared to the ones in Japan. And I think it's the same restaurant that Christina Aguilera had her wedding catered. Um, nice. Oh, very nice. So it's very, very good. I love sushi. And I, I think Dustin Hoffman was there when, last time I went there. Very nice. But there are so many good ones right now. <laughs> All right. And the last question, what is your favorite mommy tool that you use be either before your mommy or after your mommy? Oh, gosh. Um, I have to say right now it would be my uh, the digital pacifier, my iPhone. Um, sometimes that can That's, be miracles. I have never heard that term before. That's hilarious. Digital pacifier. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Just, so you pull it out, and all of a sudden your baby stops crying, and it's <laughs> like, okay, it's it's it's. I, I don't I don't use it at the um, dinner table, like um, at restaurants and stuff, because I want him to learn patience and be able to sit in high chair for a little bit. But sometimes, you know, desperate times, you know, require desperate measures, and so I think it's all about moderation. So that's what I like to call it, my digital pacifier. Love it. Well, Edna, I really want to thank you so much for sharing your story on the show today. You were absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And um, best of luck to all your audience. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you on the next episode.